Okay, three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 380. Welcome in. Uh, today we are doing NFL predictions for the AFC East and the AFC South. That is the Buffalo Bills, the Patriots, the Dolphins, the Jets, Tennessee Titans, Colts, Jaguars, and Houston Texans. Uh, let me first say today, we're 380 episodes in. This is the most casual shirt I have ever worn on the podcast. No collar. I used to wear like those really nice dress shirts, and I was like, ah, flannels and Hawaiian shirts. I bounced around. Today, I guess I'm just a lazy slob. This is the most casual shirt I've ever worn in my life. And it is, let me tell you, it's way more comfortable. It's not very hot. feels good. Like it's, it's really hot in this room. Anyway, let's jump in. I want to share a thought I had today. I want to make a change to the way I do predictions. Next year, my thought is I will do not one, but two different rounds of NFL predictions. Uh, one in early to mid-August. I will probably call that my, well, just my early predictions, right? And then uh, at the end of the preseason, right before week one starts, I'll do my final predictions. And that the benefit of doing it that that time is you can be more accurate with, well, this guy's injured, that guy didn't make the roster. But I want to really lean into the process because um, I don't have any ego here. I really care about being accurate, getting it right, making good content. And I actually like the thought of putting out my predictions early and then letting people comment and rip them apart and share their ideas. And frankly, like some people say good stuff that I haven't thought of yet. And I like the thought of, hey, next August, the pressure's off. I can do the process way earlier. It'll be way easier. If I do most of the work in early August, then the final predictions actually will be way easier because I've done most of the work anyway. I just got to make a couple roster changes, update some of my ideas. But I really want to let other people in on the process, getting feedback from the audience, letting people on Patreon write in and do stuff. Because um, I, I just, I really, really want to be accurate. That's my goal. I want to get it right. I don't care how the sausage gets made as long as it's good content. And I think it'll be really fun to lengthen the process next year and let more people write in and do stuff like that. And I want to let the audience be involved. And so I just think that the thought of putting something out, hearing the criticisms, and when you hear a criticism, and either what it does is strengthens your opinion, where you go like, yeah, no, I hear you. I don't think that's valid. I disagree. And, and then I feel better about how, what I really believe. Or sometimes people say stuff that I don't agree with or that confronts my opinion, and I go, you know what? They're right. Like that, that, that is actually a fair criticism of my thoughts. So I think by doing it in two phases, it will be even more accurate, uh, better thought out, uh, and we'll stretch out. Uh, I guess predictions next year will be like three weeks worth of predictions, and it'll be much more, even more thoughtful than it already is. And it's a long process now, but I think that sounds even better. Like imagine letting 100,000 people, people, <laughs> people proofread your like college essay, right? Letting people proofread and share their ideas is awesome. So that's what I want to do next year for my NFL predictions. That process sounds fun. Like I like that idea. Um, it takes the pressure off of me. It could make me even more accurate. I think I do pretty good. Like people always hang on to the one or two I get really wrong, but I'm like, well, most of my predictions are right. And every single NFL fan always wants me to give their team one more win or two more wins. Or it's very rare. People are like, oh, you, 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 you're way too high on our football team. Like that doesn't actually happen that often. Most people are like, ah, uh, you're wrong. You, you think we're going to suck too much. So anyway, I just, I think the right way to do it is next year, have an early prediction round and then a final prediction round 
letting people write in, letting people share their thoughts, kind of collaborating with the audience. Hopefully a lot of people write in on Patreon. I can call my friends and say, hey, hey man, what do you think? I, I, I predicted the, pa- the Packers to go this one. And Tom Grassi can call in between my, you know, my early prediction and my final prediction and say, say, you know, hey, Zach, you're wrong about this, this, this. You're predicting this player, that player. I just want to be as thoughtful as I possibly can. And that process sounds even better than the one I already have. Okay, let's now talk about the Buffalo Bills. I believe the Buffalo Bills will go 14-3 and and win the AFC East this year. They're a really, really good team. They went to the AFC title game last year. They lost to Kansas City. And they kept everybody together, really. They kept people together, and they actually added a player or two here. So I think Buffalo is even better than they were last year. And that's a big deal that they kept their team together. They are a team that is... They have this unified feeling of unfinished business. They are trying to win a Super Bowl. In fact, they kept their offensive coordinator, Brian Dable. I thought he was going to leave and go be a head coach somewhere else. So that was a big deal. I really like the mojo they got going on in Buffalo. They, they brought back linebacker Matt Bellano. He re-signed. Uh, left guard John Feliciano came back. And this team is a stacked roster. They really only have... They have one weak spot, which I would call a true like weakness, and then one spot that I think is a concern or a question. But let's start with the good stuff about Buffalo. Uh, their quarterback, Josh Allen, is amazing. He's the, if not the best young quarterback in the NFL, he's definitely one of the best young quarterbacks in the NFL, easily the best quarterback in his division, the AFC East. Uh, he could win the NFL MVP this year. He got a big extension, well-deserved. He is incredible. I love watching Josh Allen play football. They also, talking about quarterbacks, they added a backup quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky, to the Bears roster. To, well, nah, the Bills roster. He left the Chicago Bears to come to the Bills. Uh, I like Trubisky as a backup. I, I always was hard on Trubisky. I would not build my franchise around him. But if Josh Allen gets hurt for a game or two, Trubisky's a guy who's played in a lot of games. He's won games. He has a similar skill set, albeit not as effective as Josh Allen, but he can run around and keep plays alive. So I think Trubisky is literally like the perfect backup in Buffalo. Wide receivers in Buffalo, they have uh, Stephon Diggs, a star, had a huge impact last year, made them way, way better. Cole Beasley's really good, catches a lot of passes. They also added former Saints receiver Emmanuel Sanders. I like this Buffalo receiving core. I like the Bills running backs. They have Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, Matt Brieta, uh, really, really great. And I think Devin Singletary is an example of like, Man, the Giants did the wrong thing by drafting Saquon Barkley number two overall. I will say this till I die. Like, do not draft a running back in the top five. It's not worth it. You can get too much value later in the draft. And you look at this Buffalo Bills running back core, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, Matt Breda. None of them are top five picks, and they're going to be really effective and really good all year. Now, on defense, you've got a great secondary in Buffalo. Tredavious White at corner is a guy that quarterbacks will avoid. He's a shutdown corner. He's fantastic. You got two good safeties, Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde. Now, I mentioned that Buffalo had a weakness. Here it is. Levi Wallace is the, we'll call him the other corner, right? He's not, the corner not named Tredavious White is the other corner, the number two corner. Still a starter, but not as good. And that is the guy that opposing quarterbacks are going to attack and go after. If I'm the quarterback, I'm like, I'm not throwing the ball to Tredavious White's side, but a team like Arizona, who's got multiple receivers, Tennessee's another team like that, where, you know, Tredavious White can't just line up on the best receiver. They're going to need help from the other guy, and any team that has multiple receivers is going to attack Levi Wallace all day with their second best guy, and uh, I think that's a weakness on this football team. Now, linebacker Tremaine Edmonds is amazing. 
the defensive line is another, I don't know that they're a weakness. This is, I said, you know, one's a weakness. Levi Wallace is a weakness. The defensive line is more of a question mark. Where last year, they did not get after quarterbacks well enough. Uh, they have two starting defensive ends, Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison. They have defensive tackle star Lotu Lele, who will not play week one. He's got a calf injury. And Ed Oliver, they're both very good. Uh, but what's new this year in Buffalo, they added even more depth. First of all, they drafted A.J. Epinesa from Iowa last year in the second round in the 2020 NFL Draft. And then this year, in the 2021 NFL Draft, in the first round, they drafted Greg Russo. Uh, he's got a ton of talent. I want to see him develop, but he's crazy talented. And Greg Russo could become like their next starting defensive end who does a great job. And then they drafted Boogie Basham. Boogie Basham. Boogie, that's such a hard name. Boogie Basham. They drafted him in the second round. So Buffalo is investing in their defensive line, which is why I'm not going to call it a weakness just yet. Let's wait a couple weeks, see if, how good they are. But right now I have a question about Buffalo's defensive line. If they can get after quarterbacks, then they will no longer be a question. It will be confirmed, hey, they are exactly what they needed in Buffalo. The Bills should win the AFC East. Uh, they have a loaded roster. They have the best quarterback in the division. Uh, again, my concerns are the number two corner, Levi Wallace, and can the defensive line get pressure on opposing quarterbacks? Uh, now, in the first six games, Buffalo will play five potential playoff teams. They play the Steelers, then they play at Miami, Washington, at Kansas City, and at Tennessee. Those are really tough games to start your year. And however, I will say, like, because I have Buffalo going 14-3, and three, and I think they're a really good football team, they're a team that can go on the road to Kansas City and win, on the road to Tennessee and win, at Miami win football games. Like, I have a lot of supreme confidence in this Buffalo football team. I think they're a team that is a Super Bowl contender. And as long as, I don't know, like, I can't really think of, like, what could throw this team off? It's maybe, like, obviously Josh Allen can't get hurt. But there's a lot of depth here. There's a really good football team in place, and I like their coaching staff. The Bills are going to go 14-3 and three and have a shot to win a Super Bowl this year. Now let's talk about the New England Patriots. I believe the New England Patriots will go 13-4 and four this year. They're a playoff team. They will go second in the AFC East. Uh, they just added so much talent. It is unbelievable how much better the Patriots got. They added two tight ends, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. Fantastic. That's going to be a man. I, I, you know, the Aaron Hernandez days alongside Gronkowski, like Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez are a long time ago. Now they're probably not a fond memory because of what happened to Aaron Hernandez, but the Patriots once upon a time had two really fantastic tight ends. It feels like we're getting that again. Just maybe one of them isn't going to get really badly in trouble and have lots of documentaries made about him. Uh, but Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, like, let's, let's pray that doesn't happen. Uh, but they are, <laughs> it's not really that funny either. I, don't, I laugh because I'm uncomfortable. Anyway, this is why I script stuff really, really delicately. Um, I like the two tight ends, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. I'm going to leave it in, though. That's kind of that's kind of a fun moment of me realizing, like, ah, uh, uh, uh. Uh, anyway, uh, defensive tackle Devon Godshaw. Uh, Godshaw is great. Uh, Jalen Mills, a corner, came from Philly. That's another guy they added. So two tight ends, a defensive tackle, Jalen Mills. They added two wide receivers, Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. They added two linebackers, Matthew Judon and Kyle Van Noy. Plus, they didn't really get... Dante Hightower never left, but he did opt out last year due to COVID. He's back after a year off. Uh, they traded for Trent Brown, their new right tackle. It's funny to call him their new right tackle. He was in New England. They traded him. They got rid of him. Then they traded back for him. So Trent Brown is back in New England, going to have a great impact on their offensive line. 
This is a whole new team in New England. They literally upgraded everything. Uh, now, they did lose Julian Edelman. He did retire. Pat Chung, their former safety, opted out last year, didn't come back. He, he ended up retiring as well. And there is some bad news in New England. Uh, their Pro Bowl corner, Stefan Gilmore, once Defensive Player of the Year, is on the pup list. He's recovering from an injury. The, he is physically unable to perform. That is what the pup list stands for. And because of the way the pup list works, he's going to miss at least the very six, first six weeks of the NFL season. That's a big deal. Uh, I think they can withstand that, but not having Stephon Gilmore for the early part of their schedule is going to impact them later. Now, the Patriots have a really good offensive line. Left tackle Isaiah Wynn, left guard Mike Onuenu, uh, center David Andrews, right guard Shaq Mason, right tackle Trent Brown. This is a really, really outstanding offensive line that I have a lot of faith in. They also, by the way, added Ted Karras, a guy who can play both. He's an interior lineman. He can play center if you need him to, which is a really good asset. He can also play guard. Ted Karras is a guy who comes into New England and gives them even more depth and helps them if somebody gets hurt or misses a game or gets COVID or anything. So having Ted Karras is really, really good. They have three awesome running backs in New England. You have Damian Harris. James White is the guy who's kind of the scat back who catches passes out of the backfield. And then you have Ramondre Stevens, three really good running backs. I already mentioned their tight ends. That's a big strength of their team, having John Ray Smith and Hunter Henry, both really, really good tight ends. And then wide receivers, on top of having Kendrick Bourne and Nelson Aguilar, who they brought in, they also have Jacoby Myers, a guy I like. And then I would encourage people, keep your eye on Malcolm Perry. He's a former quarterback for the Naval Academy. And, dude, whether it's a trick play, running the ball, or they get the ball in his hands, running the football, so the trick play throwing the ball, or trick play where he's running, end around, stuff like that. Like, Malcolm Perry is capable of a lot of different stuff. He can run double passes. He can catch. He can run the ball. Like I'm rambling here, but Malcolm Perry, man, has so many capabilities in their offense, and he's kind of a wild card that I think people should— if I'm an opposing defensive coordinator, I'm like, hey, whenever you see Malcolm Perry on the field, it could be a double pass. It could be a run to him. Like, Keep your eye on that guy. He's a very, very dynamic athlete who's capable of many, many different things. Uh, Now, I have confidence in all these new players. I think Bill Belichick is— Better than anybody in the NFL at taking other teams' players, bringing them into New England, and then making them better than we've ever seen before. Because Bill Belichick has this plan. He has an idea in his head. He looks at Hunter Henry and goes, "Mm, you know what? If we did this with Hunter Henry, we'll get even more out of his talent. And Bill Belichick, you know, Nelson Aguilar is a guy that has not had his best years recently. And Kendrick Bourne's not a star receiver. But guys like that are people that Bill Belichick is so good at. Like, Wes Welker was not a star in Miami before he came to New England. Like, there's a reason Miami let Wes Welker go. They didn't have the vision for what he could become. And so uh, the the thing Belichick does better than anybody, like I said, is scouting the other NFL teams and saying, I want that guy, I want that guy, I want that guy. I've got a plan. Here's what we can do with him. He screws up at receiving, you know, at at drafting receivers often. That's his biggest weakness, but he's good at and then good in the past at looking at players and other teams and saying, I can turn you into blank. That's going to happen a lot with this New England Patriots team. Now, on defense for this team, the secondary is really good. Uh, you Even with Stephon Gilmore hurt, you still have J.C. Jackson, a star corner. You have two good safeties, Adrian Phillips and Devin McCourty. Uh, plus, your other corner right now is Jalen Mills, who's still a good corner. So, like, they're, they're even deep at corner where Stephon Gilmore can be hurt, and they still have a guy who's starting caliber quality with Jalen Mills. Now, the big story for the Patriots this year 
is they have a rookie quarterback, Mac Jones. Oh my goodness. I, I didn't think this was going to happen so quickly. I thought Matt jo- Mac Jones would be good when he did play. He looked very good in the preseason, but I did not expect Mac Jones to be the week one starting quarterback. It makes sense. Like he probably does give them the best opportunity to win. Uh, they've got a great team around him. The good news about Mac Jones, two things. I don't believe he's going to turn over the ball a lot. He's very decisive, makes good decisions. I don't know if he's going to be amazing. Like, if he plays out of his mind, he actually could win rookie of the year because of how good the team around him is. But he doesn't need to do that much. Like, Mac Jones, if he takes care of the ball, makes good decisions, and isn't awful, and then the defense plays really well, they're still going to win a lot of games. So the ceiling, you know, the floor is really low with Mac Jones. The ceiling is really high. If Mac Jones is fine and does what I think he's capable of, they'll win a lot of games. If he's even better than I expect, Mac Jones could win Rookie of the Year and the Patriots could maybe even potentially win a Super Bowl. That's how good the team is and how good Mac Jones could be. So he's also going to be way better. Week 17, 18, by the end of the year, Mac Jones will be a very different quarterback than we will see early on in the year. He'll take more chances. He'll get more comfortable. The Patriots will experiment more with him. So keep your eye and watch the development. Keep your eye on and watch the development of the young quarterback, Mac Jones. I want to talk about their schedule in New England because... Week one, uh, you play, the Patriots play Miami. It's a great matchup. That is two former Alabama quarterbacks, two Tonga Valoa, and Mac Jones playing against each other. That's really fun. Plus, it's also, it's just a good matchup. It's good, two good defenses, two interesting receiving cores going against two good sets of corners. That'll be really, really fun. Uh, week four, there's a fantastic game where Tom Brady and the Buccaneers go to New England to play the Patriots. That'll be amazing. Uh, now, one thing I hate about the Patriots schedule They've got a really, really brutal bye week. It's week 14. That is when the Patriots have their bye week. That is so late in the year. It's almost unhelpful. You're like, well, we could have used a break like so long ago. You play basically an entire college football season before you get a week off. And that's crazy to me. Uh, Now, uh, the the good news is that some of their tougher games are also not until later in the year. Like they get the bye week and then they play some tough games. They have, because remember, this is a, a team with new players, a new quarterback that's a rookie, as the year goes on, this Patriots team will get even better. And it's helpful that they don't play Buffalo until week 13 and week 16. It's helpful that they play at Miami week 18. Again, it's going to have playoff implications like playing their tougher games later in the year, especially in their division against Buffalo, 16, week 16, and week 13. That's really, really good for the New England Patriots. Again, I have the Patriots going 13 and 4. I feel very good about them. They will go second in their division to only the Buffalo Bills. They're a playoff team. And if Mac Jones does really, really well, they are a team that is capable of winning a Super Bowl. Now, Miami. I have the Miami Dolphins going 11 and 6 this year. They're a good team that's making progress. Uh, they've got a young quarterback, Tua Tungavaloa, some weapons there. They signed a wide receiver, Will Fuller. Uh, he's not going to play week one, he is on a suspension. They also drafted receiver Jalen Waddell. I really like Jalen Waddell. Uh, thank goodness, like Jalen Waddell has looked good in preseason where, man, Jamar Chase in Cincinnati has not. And that's, <laughs> that's concerning. I also like tight end Mike Gusecki. He's more athletic than people realize. Makes some really good catches. Mike Gusecki uh, can grab the ball away from defenders if he needs to. That's going to help the young quarterback too. Uh, they have wide receivers Devontae Parker and Jakeem Grant as well. I think Miami man, has got some weapons around Tua. They have a running back I like as well, Miles Gaskin. Now, the offensive line in Miami is a question. Tua is not a guy who's going to run around for a lot of yards. I think he can move well within the pocket. 
I don't really want Tua escaping the pocket and trying to run and extend plays a lot. He's not that kind of athlete, not that kind of quarterback. And remember, he, he got injured last year. Like, I just, I don't want Tua running around a lot. He wanted to play like Drew Brees from within the pocket. And I recognize that having Jalen Waddle is really good. I'm, I'm glad they drafted him. But it's not going to matter how good your receiving core is if Tua is on his back getting sacked. And I, I, I fear that this offensive line could have some problems where Tua needs to take a really big step forward. And I just wish that his offensive line wasn't still a work in progress. They could hinder him in his development along the way. That's very, very unfortunate. Now, this defense in Miami is really, really good. They have three awesome corners. Xavier Howard, calling him an awesome corner, actually. I think somewhat underrates him. He's phenomenal. You have Byron Jones, came over from uh, Dallas a couple years ago. He's awesome. Noah Igbenogany is a guy who is on the bench but brings a lot of depth and will play a lot in the slot corner. He's a very, very underrated addition and part of that football team. He wasn't added, but he's a part of that football team. And people don't understand how much of an impact having a guy like Noah Igbenogany, who not only can play in the slot, but also if something happens to Byron Jones or Xavier Howard, he's a guy off the bench who can play like a starter. That's a big deal to have him. Now, one person I'm really, really interested to watch is Jalen Phillips, the 18th overall pick the Dolphins drafted in the 2021 NFL Draft. A lot of people said he was the best pass rusher in the NFL Draft this year. I'm excited to watch him develop. He's not a starter yet. Uh, but I want to watch him play. Now, here are my concerns with the Miami Dolphins. Number one, the offensive line isn't great. And I don't love that the offensive line isn't quite where I want it to be. They did add Jalen Waddell, a new receiver. I do expect Tua to be somewhat a little bit improved this year. But the problem is when you look at how much better Miami got, and then you look at how much better New England got. New England got way better. And Miami got a little bit better. And a little bit better is not good enough to win this division this year because of how good Buffalo is, because of how good New England is. They had to get much better. Plus, the Dolphins' schedule is also really, really tough. It could start as bad as 1-4 four for Miami. Week 1, they play at the Patriots. Week 2, they play the Bills. Then they play at the Ravens. Then they play the Colts. Then they play the Buccaneers. That's five really tough games. I think they're going to win on the road. At the, I said the Ravens. I meant the Raiders. Week 3, they play at the Raiders. I think they win and beat the Raiders week 3. But I, I fear that Miami is going to start 1-4, and four, losing to the Patriots, the Bills, the Colts, and the Buccaneers. And, and now that Week 3 game at the Raiders is their most important game of the year because they cannot start 0-5. 1-4 and four is monumentally better. You can recover from that. You cannot recover from 0-5. And 1-4 and, and, one and four is still not pretty and not easy to recover from. But you can go, I think, 11-6 and six from starting 1-4. and four. Now, Tua needs to be good right now, like yesterday. Like, th there is no time for Tua to develop because of how hard the schedule is early on. At Patriots, Bills, Colts, Buccaneers, like, good football team after good football team. Tua has to jump into the NFL week one this year and immediately be one of the very best young quarterbacks in the NFL. There is no time for him to, to wait and develop. Like, I don't blame Miami for being impatient this year if they're like, we got to get going because they have a team capable of winning. Their quarterback cannot hold them back. So Miami, in my opinion, uh, will probably take a step backward as far as uh, their record, wins and losses. Uh, I just think that they got a little bit better and they needed to get way, way better for them to stay competitive in their division. Okay, let's shift gears to New York. I believe the New York Jets will go 7-10 and 10 this year. This is a team that is rebuilding. Now, I like the new coach, Robert Sala. I like their new offensive coordinator, Mike LaFleur. Their new quarterback, their rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson, is fantastic. He's the best 
rookie quarterback, in my opinion, right now. We'll see if that changes in the next five years. Like, Trey Lance is capable of so much. But right now, at this moment in the development process, Zach Wilson is fantastic. Now, it's a team that's rebuilding. It'll still be a fun year. I have hope. Uh, at receiver, the Jets added Corey Davis. That's a big addition. They also added Keelan Cole. They drafted Elijah Moore. Denzel Mims is a guy with a ton of potential who was a rookie last year. Jamison Crowder is solid. And the Jets are building their offensive line. They drafted a new left guard, Elijah Vera Tucker, in the first round. Uh, next to him, they have Mekhi Becton at left tackle. But other than that, it, this offensive line is still a work in progress. I don't feel great about it. I'm very thankful that Zach Wilson has the ability to run around and extend plays. I think he will have to. It'll look a little bit like Kyler Murray this year, the way he's going to have to run around and keep plays alive. Uh, now, the running backs, they brought in Tevin Coleman, who worked with Robert Sala and Michael Fleur in San Francisco. Great move. I like that. They also drafted Michael Carter. I like him. Uh, Tyler Croft came down from Buffalo. He's a tight end who already has built a good connection with Zach Wilson. That'll be fun to watch. And there also are some good players on defense for the Jets. They have defensive tackle Quinn and Williams. Middle linebacker C.J. Mosley is a guy who got a massive contract a while back. He opted out of the year last year. He got hurt in 2019, so he hasn't really played much football in two years. He's, like, he's played like two games in two years after getting a really big contract. So I'm excited to find out like how good is C.J. Mosley. Is he ever going to live up to that contract they gave him? I hope so. Uh, I, I think he's got a lot of talent, and I want to see him do very, very well. Now, the Jets also have two solid safeties, Marcus May and the Marcus Joyner. I am a little bit sad about two, we'll call them missed opportunities that took place with the Jets this year. They brought in defensive end Carl Lawson. He ruptured his Achilles. That's very sad. I was excited to watch Carl Lawson make an impact with Robert Sala and his defensive scheme. Uh, they also brought in linebacker Gerard Davis this offseason. He has an ankle injury. They put him on the injured reserve right now. So two guys I was excited to watch this year on the Jets defense are not going to play early. And Carl Lawson probably is not going to play. He ruptured his Achilles. Like He's out for the year. So that's brutal. Uh, this team has some problems. They're rebuilding. Uh, they're starting two rookie linebackers. I don't love that. I'm worried about their corners. In general, this is a football team that is a work in progress all around. Now, they have a couple big games. Uh, they play week one at the Carolina Panthers against Sam Darnold. Man, I cannot wait to watch Jets at Panthers week one. The Panthers probably win, but I think what we might see in that game is, yeah, the Jets lose the game, but in the end, they got the better quarterback, Zach Wilson. There are five winnable games the Jets, I think, I don't have to win all five, but I, I'm going to judge them based on these five games. Uh, week five, they play against Atlanta. And week 12, they play at Houston. You have to win these two games. Houston is terrible. Atlanta is a very winnable game. You must win those two games. Week eight is fun against Cincinnati. It's a game with two rebuilding teams, Cincinnati and the Jets, and Joe Burrow and Zach Wilson, two young quarterbacks, two rebuilding football teams. Week 16 will be an interesting game, similar process where you got Trevor Lawrence against Zach Wilson, two rebuilding football teams, two rookie head coaches. And I, I think that'll be a good litmus test. Which team is further in development week 16 when the Jaguars play the Jets? That'll be a fun measuring stick for that. Uh, week 13, the Eagles game is also a winnable football game. I have the Jets going seven and 10 last in the AFC East. Although I don't think that's terrible. Like it's a year where the goal of this team is to make progress, not necessarily to have a great year, make the playoffs. So obviously you would like that. Every year, like you're hoping your team makes the playoffs. But if the Jets go 7-10 and 10 and are competitive with teams like, if they, if they beat Cincinnati or they, they run them up, like if it's like 45-35 to 35 and it's interesting and Zach Wilson looks good, uh, as long as Zach Wilson looks good and they're competitive, I think that's a win 
for the season, and I have the Jets going 7-10. and 10. All right, guys. Uh, my name is Zach Schaumler. I am going to take a short break. When I return, we will do the AFC South. That is the Houston Texans, the Titans, the Jaguars, the Colts, all good stuff. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Hope you're doing very, very well. Let's now talk about the AFC South. First of all, I believe the Tennessee Titans will go 11-6 and and win their division this year. This offseason, the Titans had both starting corners Malcolm Butler and Adoree Jackson leave. Uh, They did bring in Janoris Jenkins to replace their void at corner. But that number two corner spot in Tennessee is a really big weakness. That's a problem. Currently, Christian Fulton has been elevated to a starting spot. He's the number two corner, the other corner other than Janoris Jenkins. And he's entering year two of his career. He did not play much as a rookie last year. And I look at this move, making Christian Fulton a starter, and it feels like a big leap, like wishful thinking that this guy can be a starter that can compete with some of the best receivers in the NFL this year. I worry that teams are going to go after Christian Fulton and attack him all year long. Now, last year, uh, they lost, I guess after last year, they lost wide receiver Corey Davis in free agency. I don't think they were too disappointed from that. They drafted him really, really high. He never really became what they wanted him to be. And in letting him go, they replaced him with Julio Jones. They traded for Julio Jones, the receiver from Atlanta. That's an upgrade in my mind, going from uh, Corey Davis, I hope has a great career in New York, but Julio Jones is better. And I look at this team where First of all, Taylor Dewan, the left tackle's back. He was injured last year. Taylor Dewan only played five games last year, so the offensive line is better having Taylor Dewan back. And then what they have in Tennessee this year is a three-headed monster. Derrick Henry at running back, and then two stud receivers, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. I still am not really sure how you stop the Tennessee Titans offense this year. Because if you load the box, which you have to do, you, you do not beat Derrick Henry's too big and too powerful of a running back to not load the box. You have to put extra numbers, extra run defenders in the box to stop Derrick Henry. Now, when you do that, it puts man-to-man coverage on the outside with A.J. Brown and Julio Jones. And if you put more defenders in the box, I would throw the ball vertically to Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. The defense cannot win. So as long as those three guys, that three-headed monster, the triangle of success, i never said that before, triangle of success, that's a weird way to put it. I kind of like it, though. I, I like three-headed monster better, but um, as long as Derrick Henry doesn't get hurt, A.J. Brown doesn't get hurt, and Julio Jones do not get hurt, I just do not understand how you're going to stop the Tennessee Titans offense this year. Now, I really like the Titans quarterback, Ryan Tannehill. In my opinion, Ryan Tannehill is vastly underrated. People just, for some reason... Do not love this guy. And I don't get it. He's not a quarterback who puts up massive numbers. I understand. I, in fact, let me do. I, I do get it because ESPN and Fox Sports, they look at how many touchdown passes you throw and all these little nerdy numbers. And they forget that, hey, what matters most is are you accurate? Do you make good decisions? And can I trust you in a key moment? And Ryan Tannehill is the kind of quarterback where you can trust him on a fourth and nine to win the game or fourth and three or third down or in a two-minute drill. I trust Ryan Tannehill to make good decisions with the ball, and he, he can run. Like he's, he's, I've seen him make running for, run for first downs, diving for first downs, making good throws. Like Ryan Tannehill is a guy 
this thing about him gets forgotten for some reason is almost, I hate the word clutch, uh, but that's the truth is that he does not get nervous or fumble in big moments. In fact, he makes good decisions with the football and running around. Now, Tennessee lost their offensive coordinator, Arthur Smith, to Atlanta. He's now the Falcons head coach. I don't know if that's for the best or if that's they're going to be worse off. I don't know. Uh, I, I do. I guess the question I would pose is how much will it impact them to not have Arthur Smith? Although, uh, to be clear, like I was never that – I was never like, wow, Arthur Smith is the most amazing offensive coordinator I have ever seen. He must have been good at communication because he worked well with Ryan Tannehill. But it's not like he did anything crazy complicated. He ran the ball over and over and over again with Derrick Henry. And I feel pretty good about the new offensive coordinator, Todd Downing. I just don't know how you can catastrophically screw up this offense. It's pretty straightforward. You run the ball really heavily. You throw the ball vertically to Julio Jones and A.J. Brown. You communicate well with Ryan Tannehill. Like, I just don't know that they're going to miss Arthur Smith all that much. I feel very, very confident that Todd Downing, the new offensive coordinator, will be a good fit. Now, the only loss that Tennessee did not replace was their tight end, Johnny Smith. For the most part, though, the Titans are now better than they were last year. They, you know, left tackle Taylor Lewan is fully healthy. They added Julio Jones. They signed linebacker Bud Dupree. And defensive end, Denak, uh, they can't even talk. And defensive end, Denico Autry, came over from Indianapolis. That's a good addition. I believe, top to bottom, the Tennessee Titans are better than they were last year. They will go 11-6. and six. They do have a brutal four-game stretch. Week six is Buffalo. Week seven is Kansas City. Week eight at Indy, then week nine at the Rams. That's a really, really tough four-game stretch. But I feel very good about the Tennessee Titans this year. I have them going 11-6 and six and winning their division. All right, let's shift gears to Indy. I believe the Indianapolis Colts will go 11-6 and six this year. The biggest move they made this offseason was they traded for quarterback Carson Wentz. And look, you either believe in this move or you don't. I personally think it's going to be a home run. I think it's going to work very, very well. I acknowledge that Carson is coming off of a, a bad year last year. But you are pairing Carson Wentz with Frank Reich, his dream head coach, the coach who uh, got the best out of him a couple years ago in Philadelphia when he was actually an MVP candidate. And the Colts, by the way, have a great team. Remember, quarterbacks need help. And this Colts team is great on both sides of the ball up front. They have an offensive line that is outstanding. Uh, now, one concern, I will acknowledge the one concern I have with this Colts offensive line. It is Eric Fisher, their new left tackle. He's not playing week one. That's not a small deal. That's a big deal. And I worry about that. He's still recovering from a torn Achilles. Uh, but otherwise, man, their Colts offensive line they have is fantastic. And if Eric Fisher can stay healthy and play at a high level, that's going to be a really, really impressive offensive line and one of the better ones in the NFL. The Colts have three stud running backs. They have starter Jonathan Taylor. They have Naheem Hines, who is a guy that catches passes out of the backfield, more like a scat back. And then Marlon Mack is a good contributor who can bring depth off of the bench. Colts stop receiver T.Y. Hilton right now, unfortunately, starts the year on the IR. He will miss at least the first three games uh, but even without T.Y. Hilton, the Colts have a couple really solid receiving options. They have Michael Pittman Jr., they have Paris Campbell, they have Zach Pascal, uh, plus two tight ends, Jack Doyle and Mo Ali Cox. Now, the defensive front for Indianapolis is terrifying. They are led by defensive tackle DeForest Buckner. He actually apparently played hurt all year last year. Uh, they also just drafted a new defensive end, Quiddy Pay. 
he should have a really, really big impact immediately. I love his story, love his family, love everything about Pay. I think he's going to be a stud in Indianapolis. Linebackers Bobby Okariki and then Darius Leonard is outstanding. An outstanding, fantastic linebacker in Indy. Now, corner is a concern, especially week one with the Colts. Uh, Xavier Rhodes is going to be out against Seattle. And when you're missing Xavier Rhodes and you're missing your starting left tackle, Eric Fisher, week one against Seattle, a team that I don't, I, I think on paper, if everyone's healthy, the Colts are way better than Seattle. But unfortunately, if you're missing a couple guys and Seattle is Russell Wilson and you're missing a corner, especially Rocky Asin, your number two corner is a big weakness for this football team. So even if, if you were fully healthy in the secondary where Xavier Rhodes was healthy, I still would be worried about Rocky Asin trying to guard DK Metcalf occasionally. Defenses are going to go after Rocky Asin this year. He is a weakness on this football team. And uh, this year is going to come down to a couple things in Indy, things that have to go well. Uh, not having a number two corner is a problem. It's, you know, that other corner. The guy not named Xavier Rhodes, that's, that's really bad. It's a hole on their roster. Uh, and they match up particularly badly with the Tennessee Titans of A.J. Brown and Julio Jones at receiver. So, you know, Xavier Rhodes can guard one of those guys, but the other one's going to have to be guarded by Rocky Asin, and that's, that really, really makes me uncomfortable and makes me nervous. However, the Colts are a team that I think, man, if, if they can get a couple things to go right, they are capable of making a Super Bowl run. Like They have a really, really fantastic team around them. But the question is, I guess, really, how much do you believe in Carson Wentz? That, that's a big, big question you have to answer with this Colts football team. I believe he's going to return to form. Uh, the form he was in last time he played for Frank Reich, he was, remember, the front runner for MVP before he got hurt. I believe in Carson Wentz. Uh, another question with this football team is Eric Fisher, the left tackle. Kansas City cut him for a reason. He's already missing week one. Can he stay healthy? Uh, can he even play at a high level? Remember, Eric Fisher is coming off of a major Achilles injury at 30 years old at left tackle. I don't know. I, I think Eric Fisher has a couple good years left in him. But again, Kansas City didn't cut him for no reason. Part of that was to save money. Part of that was, I hope not, that he's too washed up to play well. But again, I, I want to repeat this. I believe the Colts are a football team that is on the cusp of making a Super Bowl run. Really, if they got a couple good players to add, if they could add like, man, a, another corner and another star receiver, this is a Super Bowl football team. Unfortunately, I think they just are a team that makes the playoffs, has a nice run, falls short. But it's only year one for Carson Wentz. Um, and I think once the Colts fill a couple more holes on this roster, give Carson Wentz one more year to gel and you know get used to playing for Frank Reich again, I think next year is the year where we're going, hey, Colts fans, raise their expectations. Hopefully they draft a receiver, get a corner, something like that. But if they make a move or two next year, uh, they will be a team that this year is a playoff team. Next year is a potential Super Bowl team. Unless, by the way, Carson Wentz plays out of his mind. That, that's always a possibility. Carson Wentz could just... I think he's going to be really good if he's like Hall of Fame level. Then we're talking Super Bowl, but that's not really what I expect from them this year in Indy. Now, the Jaguars. I believe the Jacksonville Jaguars will go 4-13 and 13 this year. They got a new head coach, Urban Meyer. He has never coached in the NFL before. They have a rookie quarterback, uh, number one overall pick, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they also brought in corner Shaquille Griffin from Seattle. They gave him a three-year, $44 million contract. They signed running back Carlos Hyde. Uh, they signed wide receiver Marvin Jones. One big move they made was a franchise tag left tackle Cam Robinson. That's a nice move. I like that. 
This offensive line, though, has a lot to prove. I, I just don't trust them. And on top of that, the Jaguars are not very good at tight end. And running back Travis Etienne, who they drafted in the first round, hurt his foot, had surgery. He is likely out for the year. And I got to mention this, by the way, drafting Travis Etienne, I, look, I, the, the pick made sense to me. I'll explain why I thought, okay, I get it. It always, even on draft day, though, even knowing why they were doing it, it felt a little bit wasteful. And now, especially with Travis Etienne hurt, it feels very wasteful. Like they could have got another starter. Instead, they have Travis Etienne injured, not playing at all. Uh, the reason why they drafted Travis Etienne, though, was because Urban Meyer likes having guys who can play both running back and receiver. At, uh, at Florida, he had Percy Harvin. At Ohio State, he had Curtis Samuel. Um, the Jaguars were excited, I think, to use Travis Etienne both as a receiver and as a running back. Instead, though, he's hurt. And they just have running back James Robinson, who they would have had all along if they hadn't brought in Travis Etienne at all. Uh, I get it. They were trying to bring in someone more versatile, but I, I think James Robinson is going to be awesome. And I don't think they needed to make any kind of move to replace him. I get it if the thought was, hey, we want more depth. We want a receiver or a guy who can be a one-two punch. But I just think they don't appreciate James Robinson. And that rubs me the wrong way. Now, the Jaguars did try improving their defensive line. They added defensive ends Malcolm Brown and Roy Robertson-Harris. Uh, those are guys who are two new starters. They are not two star players, but they're good enough. They're better than doing nothing. Uh, I feel good about that move. Linebacker Miles Jack is a stud. He's fantastic, an established starter. So is Shaq Griffin, their new corner. But here's the key. Not only to the Jaguar season this year, but the key to the Jaguars' future as a football team. They have a ton of young talented players. They have running back James Robinson, wide receiver DJ Chark, wide receiver LaVisca Chenault, linebackers Josh Allen and Calevon Chason. Calevon Chason, I think it's how you say that actually. Uh, young corner CJ Henderson is really good, former first round pick. And then obviously they have Trevor Lawrence. Like there is a lot of not only talent, but often even first round picks on this uh, Jacksonville Jaguars football team. The question is, and this is the key to their year, the key to their future. Can Urban Meyer not only, because he's a, he's a college coach, really, and, and college football players, I don't know if you know this, are different from NFL players. NFL players have lives and wives and kids and want to be treated a little bit differently. So the question is, can Urban Meyer connect with NFL players and can him and his coaching staff develop these young players and make them into star football players? Guys who, look, there's a lot of potential on this roster but they have to develop their young players. Guys like C.J. Henderson, who is capable of a lot, have to be given good coaching and developed into even better players. Now, the Jaguars have... Uh, one, there's a reason why the Jaguars were a team with the number one overall pick. They're, they're a bad football team, and that cannot be ignored. So I think when I say this, I'm not trying to be mean or harsh. I just look at the Jaguars' schedule and say, well... There's only really five teams that I look at, five games that I look at as realistic games the Jaguars can win. These are five winnable games the Jaguars have on their schedule. They play at Houston week one. They play at Cincinnati week four. They play against Atlanta week 12. Week 15, they play Houston again. And then week 16, they play at the Jets. So Houston twice, Cincinnati, Atlanta, and the Jets. The other 12 games on the Jaguars' schedule... I'm, I'm not going to judge very harshly because they are a team that is rebuilding, and I'm like, ah, we'll see. But I'm going to judge Urban Meyer's first year 
on how well he does against other bad and rebuilding football teams. So these five games are going to impact how I feel about the rest of the year. Again, Houston, Cincinnati, Atlanta, Houston again, and the Jets game. Those five games, when we look back at the end of the year and say, how did Urban Meyer do in these five games against other teams in a similar situation? I hope it's good. I'm not sure what to make of it. I have the Jacksonville Jaguars going 4-13 and 13 this year. And uh, I, I, we'll see. I, I just keep an open mind, and I will be curious to look at this team later in the year and reevaluate. Now, the Houston Texans are a terrible, terrible football team. New head coach David Culley uh, is, is joining the football team. Oh, man. David Culley, in my opinion, got this job because no one wanted it. We, there were a lot of head coaching availabilities this offseason, and I never once heard David Culley's name mentioned in the running for any other job until suddenly, out of nowhere, hey, this guy I've never heard of, who, by the way, was the passing game coordinator for the Baltimore Ravens, a team known for running the football. Out of nowhere, David Culley was hired as a Houston Texans head coach. I'm not trying to throw shade. I just, this is not a guy who is a top candidate in his field. That already concerns me. Now, I have an open mind. He might be a good head coach. We'll find out. Uh, the week one starting quarterback is Tyrod Taylor. Uh, they also did draft Davis Mills, the quarterback from Stanford in the third round. He could play near the end of the year. Uh, but I just want to say I feel really, really bad for Tyrod Taylor. He's had a weird career trajectory where he got replaced by Josh Allen in Buffalo. He got replaced by Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. got replaced by Justin Herbert in L.A. with the Chargers. And now he gets to start on the worst team in the entire NFL. Like, poor Tyrod Taylor. Like, thank God. I think he's getting paid like $12.5 million, so crocodile tears from me. But uh, I just feel bad because I think he's a guy who is capable of doing even better than his career allowed him to. But he never really got to play quarterback on a good football team that actually wanted him and believed in him. Every time he finally got rolling. Like, he, he took the Bills to the playoffs one year, and they still replaced him and benched him. Now, uh, the Texans' plan is very, very unclear. I look at what they're doing with their roster, and I'm like, I don't get it. I understand that former starting quarterback Deshaun Watson is having trouble off the field, but I, I can't tell like what the moves they made this offseason. It feels like the Houston Texans were saying, we're just trying to get through this year, hopefully get the number one overall pick and reset next year because they lost their three top receivers, Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, and Kiki Cutie. Uh, and what, what's weird to me is that they signed so many like one-year contracts. Here's the list of guys they signed for one-year deals. They signed Philip Lindsay, running back. They signed Mark Ingram, a running back. They signed David Johnson, another running back to a one-year contract. Defensive tackle Malik Collins. Center Justin Britt. Quarterback Tyrod Taylor. Wide receiver Brandon Cooks. Wide receiver Danny Amendola. It goes on and on and on. This is the worst team in football. And instead of getting a bunch of young players to develop in, they got a bunch of one-year contracts with veterans. I don't, like, what are they trying to achieve here? I don't really understand, but they're just trying to fill out their roster. It doesn't make any sense to me. And if I were a team that was awful, and I knew my quarterback situation is uncertain, I don't know what's going to happen, what I would do is I would tank by get my team devoid of any talent, do not bring veterans in like they did. I would instead have a bunch of really young football players on my team, and I'd say, hey, over the course of an 18 week season, these guys are going to develop and some of them are going to emerge as guys who we might want to keep in the future and build around. And some of them are going to be terrible and we'll cut them. But you never like sometimes a seventh round pick turns into a really good football player. I would have, if I were them, said we're taking as much youth as humanly possible in Houston. We are tanking because that's what it appears like they're doing anyway and saying we're just going to be awful. 
and we're going to evaluate talent and build around the guys that are good enough to keep. Instead, they did this weird plan with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, at least nine starters on a one-year contract that are veterans and probably going to retire or move on after this year. I don't know what the strategy is. I really don't get it. Now, I'm curious if Davis Mills, the rookie quarterback, will play at some point this year. I would think so because if they have a bad year, they're losing game after game after game. You might want to put in a guy like Davis Mills who you want to evaluate him, figure out how good he is. Uh, and he might be the future franchise quarterback in Houston. Davis Mills had a really good preseason. A lot of people thought he had first-round talent when he got drafted. Uh, and, and maybe that does explain why they brought in veterans, is maybe Houston says, if we're going to put out a rookie quarterback like Davis Mills, let's at least give him a couple people who know what they're doing. And a veteran guy like Danny Amendola, Brandon Cooks, Philip Lindsay, like these players have probably a better chance of helping a young quarterback succeed than a bunch of awful guys who are 24 years old and have never really played in the NFL before. So maybe that's the strategy as I think about it out loud. But I, I want to make this very, very clear. Houston is a terrible football team, and the best chance they have all year to win a game is week one against Jacksonville. Because this is a team of veteran players with a coach who, you know, I, I get it that uh, David Culley is a rookie head coach. He's never coached in the NFL before as a head coach, but he's been in the league for years, so he at least knows the NFL. Urban Meyer is, I would believe, an unprepared rookie head coach who has never coached in the NFL before this year. So I think maybe you can catch Jacksonville off guard a little bit, where you are a veteran team with a coach who knows the NFL against rookie quarterback Trevor Lawrence, rookie head coach Urban Meyer. And I'll tell you what, if you don't beat Jacksonville week one, if you're Houston, by the next time you play them week 15 for a second time, the Jaguars are going to be a lot better after 14 weeks of improving. So again, I repeat this, the best opportunity Houston has at winning a game all year is week one hosting Jacksonville. I have the Houston Texans going one and 16 this year. It's going to be an awful year. I feel bad for them. Uh, I feel bad for all of their quarterbacks. I feel bad for every player there. They're not being set up to win. Uh, I, I even feel bad for their head coach. Like their head coach got the job because no one else would, not necessarily because he was the most qualified candidate. And that makes me look at him and feel bad. Like he's going to have a bad year. He may not even know he's going to have a bad year. Uh, I would think he does, but it's just it's a mess. And I, I just feel horrible for the players in Houston who are going to have a really really bad year. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. Thank you so very much for tuning in. This has been episode three hundred and eighty of Strong Opinion Sports. Uh, I am going to literally stop recording, uh, probably get a drink of water, and then immediately turn around and record episode 381. Another hour of talking uh, next time about the AFC West and the AFC, what is it, the AFC North. So my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a, I'm going to go, I guess. So bam, we are done. And uh, if you want to listen to the next episode back to back to back, it'll, they'll come out about an hour apart. So uh, have a great day until I see you next time. Ba-dum-bum-bam, we are done.